91.7 WVXU is proud to support this and other locally produced podcasts through its podcast network for an easy-to-navigate curated list of some of the best local and national podcasts. Visit Podcast Central at wvxu.org slash podcast central. Welcome to The 12th Story, a podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 183 years old and is the literary center of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts authors and speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We are a working library with more than 80,000 books and counting available to members. We're located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati and online at mercantilelibrary.com. And we always welcome new members and guests. One of the many things you can say about the Mercantile Library is we have a tradition of slowness, of taking our time. People have always come here to remove themselves from the speed of day-to-day business. Maybe that pace has affected the staff's own habits, or maybe it's our 10,000-year renewable lease, or maybe it's just that only five of us work here. But whatever the reason, we tend to go about things slowly. If you keep up with the library's events and acquisitions, it'll be clear that we are interested in contemporary issues, but we also don't like to let the past get too far behind us for too long. It's probably this nonchalance with time that is responsible for our giving you a podcast today about solar eclipses, approximately nine months after a total solar eclipse was seen in America, and about three months after we recorded the episode. I'm sure that at least some of our listeners traveled to be in the path of totality last August, and if you didn't, chances are you saw a partial eclipse, and if not that, I'm sure you at least were aware of the eclipse. I myself have not seen a total eclipse, but lucky for people like me, some of our best authors have. Today, we'll hear a performance of selections from two famous essays on the subject, Virginia Woolf's The Sun and the Fish and Annie Dillard's Total Eclipse. The performers are the local actresses Kat Reynolds and Sam Nelson, both of whom were previously in the production of All Day Permanent Red staged at the Mercantile in April 2017. It had been like dying, that sliding down the mountain pass. It had been like the death of someone, irrational, that sliding down the mountain pass and into the region of dread. It was like slipping into fever. Or falling down the hole in sleep, from which you wake yourself whimpering. So, on this dark winter's morning, when the real world has faded, let us see what the eye can do for us. Show me the eclipse, we say to the eye. Let us see that strange spectacle again. And we see it once, but the mind's eye is only by courtesy an eye. It is a nerve which hears and smells, which transmits heat and cold, which is attached to the brain and rouses the mind to discriminate and speculate. It is only for brevity's sake that we say that we see at once a railway station by night. A crowd is gathered at the barrier. 
but how curious a crowd. Macintoshes are slung over their arms. In their hands they carry little cases. They have a provisional, extemporized look. They have that moving and disturbing unity which comes from the consciousness that they, but here it would be more proper to say we, have a purpose in common. Never was there a stranger purpose than that which brought us together that June night in Euston Railway Station. We were come to see the dawn. Trains like ours were starting all over England at that very moment to see the dawn. All noses were pointed north. When for a moment we halted in the depths of the country, there were the pale yellow lights of motor cars also pointing north. There was no sleep, no fixity in England that night. All were traveling north. All were thinking of the dawn. As the night wore on, the sky, which was the object of so many million thoughts, assumed greater substance and prominence than usual. The consciousness of the whitish, soft canopy above us increased in hours past. A cloud glowed as white shade glows when the light is slowly turned up behind it. Golden, wedge-shaped streamers fell down from it and marked the trees in the valley green and the villages blue-brown. In the sky behind us there swam white islands and pale blue lakes. The sky's blue was deepening, but there was no darkness. The sun was a wide crescent like a segment of tangerine. The wind freshened and blew steadily over the hill. The eastern hill across the highway grew dusky and sharp. The towns and orchards in the valley to the south were dissolving into the blue light. Only the thin river held a trickle of sun. The sky was open and free there, but in front of us a soft snowbank had massed itself. Yet as we looked, we saw it proving worn and thin in patches. The gold momentarily increased, melting the whiteness to a fiery gauze, and this grew frailer and frailer till, for one instance, we saw the sun in full splendor. Then there was a pause. Look at Mount Adams, I said, and that was the last sane moment I remember. I turned back to the sun. It was going. The sun was going, and the world was wrong. The grasses were wrong. They were platinum. This color has never been seen on Earth. The hues were metallic. Their finish was matte. The hillside was a 19th century tinted photograph from which the tents had faded. All the people you see in the photograph, distinct and detailed as their faces look, are now dead. The sky was navy blue. My hands were silver. The sun had to race through the clouds and to reach the goal, which was a thin transparency to the right, before the sacred seconds were up. He started. The clouds flung every obstacle in his way. They clung. They impeded. He dashed through them. He could be felt flashing and flying when he was invisible. His speed was tremendous. 
I was watching a faded color print of a movie filmed in the Middle Ages. I was standing in it by some mistake. I was standing in a movie of hillside grasses filmed in the Middle Ages. Now he went under his last effort. Now he was completely blotted out. I missed my own century, the people I knew, and the real light of day. The moments passed. I looked at Gary. He was in the film. Everything was lost. He was a platinum print, a dead artist's version of life. I saw on his skull the darkness of night mixed with the colors of day. My mind was going out. My eyes were receding the way galaxies recede to the rim of space. Gary was light years away, gesturing inside a circle of darkness down the wrong end of a telescope. He smiled as if he saw me. The stringy crinkles around his eyes moved. The sight of him, familiar and wrong, was something I was remembering from centuries hence, from the other side of death. Yes, that is the way he used to look when we were living, when it was our generation's turn to be alive. I could not hear him. The wind was too loud. Behind him, the sun was going. We had all started down a shoot of time. The grass at our feet was wild barley. It was the wild icorn wheat which grew on the hilly flanks of the Zagros Mountains, above the Euphrates Valley, above the valley of the river we called River. We harvested the grass with stone sickles, I remember. We found the grasses on the hillsides. We built our shelter beside them and cut them down. That is how he used to look then, that one, moving and living and catching my eye, with the sky so dark behind him and the wind blowing. God save our life. The shadow growing darker and darker over the moor was like the healing over of a boat, which instead of righting itself at the critical moment, turns a little further, and then a little further, and suddenly capsizes. This was the end. The flesh and blood of the world was dead and only the skeleton was left. It hung beneath us, frail, brown, dead, withered. From all the hills came screams. There was no sound. The eyes dried, the arteries drained, the lungs hushed. There was no world. We were the world's dead people, rotating and orbiting around and around, embedded in the planet's crust, while the earth rolled down. We had, it seems, loved the planet and loved our lives, but could no longer remember the way of them. The sun was too small and too cold and too far away to keep the world alive.
It was as useless as a memory. It was as off-kilter and hollow and wretched as a memory. Empty space stoppered our eyes and mouths. We cared for nothing. We remembered our living days wrong. If there had ever been people on Earth, nobody knew it. The dead had forgotten those they had loved. The dead were parted one from the other and could no longer remember the faces and lands they had loved in the light. They seemed to stand on darkened hilltops, looking down. Then, with some trifling movement, this profound obeisance of the light, this stooping down and abasement of all splendor, was over. On the other side of the world, up it rose. It sprang up as if the one moment, after a second's tremendous pause, completed the other, and the light which had died here rose again elsewhere. Never was there such a sense of rejuvenescence and recovery. Yet at first, so pale and frail and strange the light was sprinkled rainbow-like in a hoop of color, that it seemed as if the earth could never lived decked out in such frail tints. It hung beneath us, like a cage, like a hoop, like a globe of glass. It might be blown out, it might be stove in. But steadily and surely our relief broadened, and our confidence established itself as the great paintbrush washed in woods, dark on the valley, and massed the hills blue above them. The world became more and more solid. It became populous. It became a place where an infinite number of farmhouses, of villages, of railway lines have lodgment, until the whole fabric of civilization was modeled and molded. But still the memory endured that the earth we stand on is made of color. Color can be blown out. And then we stand on a dead leaf, and we, who tread the earth securely now, have seen it dead. That was Cat Reynolds and Sam Nelson performing excerpts from The Sun and the Fish by Virginia Woolf and Total Eclipse by Annie Dillard. You can find these essays in a few books in our collection. Virginia Woolf's The Sun and the Fish can be found in Notting Hill Edition's recent collection, Essays on the Self, as well as the older collection, The Captain's Deathbed and Other Essays. Annie Dillard's Total Eclipse can be found in Teaching a Stone to Talk, and the anthology, The Next American Essay. Please come in and ask our collector, Sed Rose, for help finding any of these books. Thank you for joining us today on The Twelfth Story. We encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud. And if you like listening, tell your friends or tweet to us at Mercantile Lib. Today's podcast was directed by me, Adam Kosian and engineered and produced by Chris Messick. 
Special thanks to our performers, Kat Reynolds and Sam Nelson. The Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Don't forget to visit us online at mercantilelibrary.com where you can learn about our library and our upcoming events. Have a great week.